John chapter 21. I am not a mechanic, but by having less than new vehicles in most of my life, you learn a few things of how to take care of, of what you have. And uh, I've learned that oftentimes in a vehicle that when you're driving and your, your front uh, wheels begin to shimmy and shake and gyrate and, and vibrate and all those things, sometimes, and there's other things that uh, could be reason, but oftentimes it is because your wheels are out of alignment. And so you have to take it into the shop and have them balance and get it in alignment. Well, how many of you know that as Christians, we get out of alignment, right? We get out of alignment. We need alignment. And that's one of the things when we come together to celebrate Jesus every Lord's Day, this is our time to get an alignment, to recalibrate is another word I love, to, to align and recalibrate ourselves to what is important, to the, keep our vision and our mind and our heart on the spiritual, all right? And uh, by the way, if you see Ray over here, he's not a, he's not a terrorist or anything. Ray helps me count and uh, helps know who's here and all that. So he has that ministry. So I see some of y'all looking and watching and if he's packing or anything, but he, he's, a, he's a good man. He's a good man. And uh, so we love Ray, but he helps me and do that. He's faithful in letting me know that. And uh, so this morning in chapter 21 of John's gospel, we uh, conclude, uh, at least I conclude in the preaching through the gospel of John that we began really almost a year ago, some 37 different messages. And, and really, that's, that's just skimming the surface because I've, I've known pastors and churches where they've gone through the book of John and have doubled that at least. I could go back and start over in the gospel of John and go through and not preach the same message because there's so much in God's Word that we just kind of hit upon and skimmed a little bit to give you a flavor and a taste. But as John chapter 21, the last chapter in the book of John, as we conclude this morning, and I hope that, again, uh, you uh, uh, make John a, a regular part of your, your reading, and uh, is, it's full of Jesus. And so we see that the disciples, where we left them, last time, are not in the upper room in chapter 21. In fact, the disciples are in the, the Bible says, are on the Sea of Tiberias, which is the same thing as the Sea of Galilee. They're used, those terms are used interchangeably. Sea of Galilee, Tiberias, same thing, same place. And the disciples uh, really, and we'll read this in a minute, under the direction of the Apostle Peter, are taking a little bit of an excursion and going going fishing. That's what most of them were. The Most of them were fishermen uh, when Jesus called them. And so uh, they're following Peter as they uh, take this little fisherman's uh, venture, a vacation, I don't know, vacation. But remember the, the time period that this is in. This is, the disciples are in between. The disciples are in between here uh, the resurrection and Pentecost. Okay, Jesus has yet to ascend, as Acts chapter 1 tells us, and so they're still in that period of time in between, and one of the things that we know uh, from, and we'll see here a little bit, but other places, is that the disciples' full understanding did not come until the fullness of receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. 
They had limited understanding, limited knowledge. Uh, we see that even, you know, again, what comes to mind always is in Acts chapter 1, when Jesus, before he ascended, they're saying, Jesus, are you now going to bring about the renewal kingdom of, of David? Are you going to restore Israel to its past kingdom and glory? That's where their fixation was on. And so many times uh, in Scripture, John especially, will kind of parenthetically make a statement where he says, and, uh, you know, we did not basically say, and at the time this happened, we later understood this is what this was about. So they're still in that process there, and I want you to kind of keep that in mind as we look in John 21 and, and survey a few things. But in John chapter 21, in verses 1 through 3, the Bible reads, and we're going to kind of read it as we move along, it says, after these things, after these things, after what had taken place there in chapter uh, 20 in the upper room, remember Thomas, we looked at that, and Jesus appeared to the frightful disciples, and it says, after these things, right before the ascension that we read about in Acts 1, after these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, Sea of Galilee. And in this way, he showed himself. In this way, here's what he did. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and, the two, and two others of his disciples were together. Not everybody, but that group in verse 2. Verse 3, Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. Like, I got to get out of here. I got to do something. I'm going fishing. I mean, I love that statement. I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we are going with you also. We're, we're going to go fishing. And they went out and immediately got into the boat. And that night, don't miss this, what did they catch? Nada. Nothing. They didn't catch anything. They went out, went fishing, and didn't catch anything. Peter says, I'm going to go fish, but that night... They caught nothing. And again, remember, we're kind of these disciples. Jesus is going to reveal himself again and kind of underscore some important elements here in a minute. Let's keep reading verse 4. But when the morning had now come, they were there all night, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Maybe distance, couldn't recognize him for whatever reason. And then Jesus said to them, calling out, remember they're in the boat, he's on the shore, and Jesus said to them, children, <laughs> interesting, children, have you any food? And they answered him, no. And that's interesting, the Greek word for children means little ones, and it means really in speaking about somebody who is immature, immature in their understanding or thinking. Uh, in fact, it's the same. It's used in the same uh, context in 1 Corinthians fourteen twenty, when Paul says, "Do not be like children uh, in your thinking." In other words, don't be immature in your thinking. So that's kind of the the, the way that that's used there when he says children. Verse six. They haven't caught anything. Been there all night, and Jesus said to them, "Cast the net." On the right side of the boat, and you will find some. Find some what? Fish. That's what they're out there doing. Find some fish. And the Bible says, 
and uh, says, you will find some fish. So they cast, put it on the right side of the boat. They cast, maybe they thought, because some uh, people have said that at certain perspectives on the Sea of Galilee, that you can actually see schools of fish. So maybe they thought, again, they don't know who this guy is that's telling them this. Maybe they thought maybe he can see something they can't. And so they cast their nets over onto the other side. And it says, so they cast, and now, verse 6, they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Verse 6, verse 7. Therefore, therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved, that's kind of a way that John refers to himself, Therefore, the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, John, said, It is the Lord. Now, when Simon Peter heard that, it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it, and plunged into the sea. In this scenario that we'll look at this morning, I want us to look at Three commands that Jesus gives, and it has to do with a sense of returning, or as the title of the message this morning is, resurrecting your purpose. Purpose is important. There's nothing worse than sometimes working on a job and you're doing something, just talking about in a natural, you're working on the job and you're doing something, and you say, why are we doing this? This is the most worthless thing, and it's such a waste of time. What is the purpose here? Uh, You remember sometimes it was in school, and you'd be in math, and you'd be thinking, or maybe at least I was, and you would make say, why do I need to learn all this if I'm going to be a garbage collector? You see, my vision was big, you know, in third or fourth grade, but I was trying to like, I don't need all this. Why do I need to learn all this math stuff or whatever? Uh, The purpose, but what is even more troubling is when you reach a place in your life and maybe you're, maybe you're at that place this morning where there's a sense of just inner futility of what, what is this all about? There's no sense of purpose or joy. I'm not talking about that you're not a Christian. I'm not talking about that you're not a believer in Jesus. I'm talking about that place where you have just become somewhat disillusioned and you've lost the sense of purpose and joy. Well, listen... It's interesting because the Bible says that Jesus, as we'll look at in a little later, um, is that Jesus is always someone who's always putting vision and purpose before us. But what did Peter do? Now again, I'm reading a little bit into this, but I don't think it's inconsistent with what we know about the Apostle Peter. Remember, they're in the in-between. The in-between between the resurrection and Pentecost. Their understanding, and even Jesus calling them children, they're immature, they're they're not fully developed in their spiritual understanding. And remember, things, while they are excited and beyond excitement, that this Jesus who was killed and crucified has risen from the dead, I mean, that's how do you put that into words, right? Right? But yet, they know life is not going to be the same. 
I mean, even then, when Jesus back earlier, when Jesus promised and said, it's necessary that I leave you, as he began to teach them and kind of wean them away from their false understanding as the Messiah was going to be this militaristic one who would come, and he begins to develop their thinking about what the Bible taught about the, the suffering Messiah. And he said, it's better that I leave because when I leave, I can send the Holy Spirit. Remember, we, we talked about that. We're studying the Holy Spirit on Wednesday nights. And they weren't overly excited about this idea of Jesus dying. I mean, we kind of have, you know, kind of this rose-colored glasses. We look at these guys, and, but they were like, okay, but we still want you to hear. We appreciate you're going to send the Holy Spirit. I'm not even really sure who the Holy Spirit is or what that's all about. But they, it's almost like, but, but don't die. Just, just let's keep doing what we're doing. Let's, let's come on. Let, let, let's, let's change the program. I mean, Peter, remember when Jesus talked about dying? What did he do? He took Jesus aside and rebuked him, right? They didn't like that idea. I mean, I don't even think they could fathom the resurrection, and even now, I think they're still trying to grasp the new normal. The new normal. You know, after COVID, we have a new normal. The new normal. How do I adjust to all this now? And Peter probably does something that is very instinctive that most of us would do. Is Peter says what? I'm going fishing. That's what he knew. That's what he was used to. That's where he understood what his purpose was. You go out, catch fish, you sell the fish, you make money. He got it. He understood that. And sometimes what we do when we are disillusioned and discouraged with a sense of purpose and identity is we revert back to the past of doing something that we once felt identity with. But how many of you know God is never in the past? Now, am I going to have to preach longer? Because some of you, I don't know if you stayed up late last night. I need a little feedback here, all right? Let me say that again. God is not in the past. God is a future-driven vision for our life. God has a calling for our life. He has purpose for our life. And Peter, out of perhaps a sense of futility and wondering where is this going to go, remember Jesus wasn't with them at this moment and he just said an exasperation, I think, and just says, all right, guys, I'm going fishing. Who's going with me? Yeah, I'll go, I'll go. Because that's what he's used to. That's what he, he's comfortable with. That's what he likes to do. But God's purpose is not behind us. You know, and as Christians, it's easy for us to get into a rut. You know what a rut is? You just sometimes will say autopilot. You're just kind of doing the same thing. But ruts become really easy to navigate. You know why? Because if your car, talking about cars and tires and all, you ever get stuck in the mud? I remember one time on I-4, and you, you see this once in a while, some guy at Champions Gate, you know, your cars are lined up, and there's always some guy that's going to go across and make a shortcut. And I will, never will forget about a year ago, watching this guy in his truck, went across, and guess what? Got totally stuck in the mud. And in my mind, I'm thinking, how was that? I had that work out for you, pal. You know? I prayed for him. I was in a hurry to get home. 
But ruts, listen, ruts become kind of easy to navigate because you know what? The car only goes where the rutting is. You just spin in wheels. You can't go right, you can't go left. You just you just feel like you're in that rut. This morning we want to talk about three commands as we survey chapter 21 resurrecting your purpose. And I believe that there's many here. And if you're not here, you will be. And take this as an encouragement of three commands Jesus gives that I think are instructive in helping us to resurrect our purpose as followers of Christ. Number one, and by the way, in your bulletin, there's a little blue insert of an outline you can follow. Uh, it helps you be an engaged listener, a little uh, outline there, and things will be on the screen. And so that way you can help follow along and learn and get more out of the message. But number one command, Jesus said in verse 6, is he said, cast your net on the other side. Verse 6, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find fish. Now, John seems to immediately connected this command with Jesus because it goes back to one of the very early experiences, Luke 5 tells us this, but it takes them back to one of the very first dramatic, significant encounters they had with Jesus when Jesus told those disciples to do the very same thing. Cast your net on the other side. In that scenario, they were hauling in so much fish, their nets were breaking. They couldn't do it. So immediately when they heard, cast your net on the other side, I think John was like, wait a minute. I've been, what? Is, I mean, we, he knew exactly and remembered what was going on there. And so the command is, cast your nets on the other side. And Peter, verse 7, therefore the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. And now when Peter heard that, he put on his outer garment for he had removed, he's out on the sea, he's a man, you know, he's hot. He puts on his outer garment and he plunges. He doesn't just say, guys, can you get me a little closer? You know, I don't want to get my, you know, Gucci shoes wet or anything, you know. What does he do? He, I mean, he just, isn't that Peter? I mean, that is so Peter. I mean, they come to arrest Jesus, what does he do? He is a concealing carry permit, he takes out that sword, whacks Malthus, I think that's his name, the guard of the high priest, takes his ear off. Jesus is like, come on, Peter, do I have to do it? I mean, he heals his ear, the, the guard. The, Peter's just an impulsive, Jesus, God, you know, no way will I ever deny you. Will I ever, I'll die with you. Remember he said that just not too long back in the upper room. And so Peter jumps in when he hears that command. And I believe that in that command, God wants to remind us something about a sense of purpose. As, you see, I believe that God brought, even you here today, I don't think you're here by accident, brought many of you together today to remind you that you need to listen to the Lord. And the Lord may be saying to you, quit doing what you keep doing and not getting any results. Cast your net on the other side. Why? Because that is where Jesus knows 
It's on the other side. It's where the fish are. You don't know what's on the other. Jesus knows. Cast your net on the other side. Listen to what Jesus is saying. Quit doing the same thing. What do they say? The, the uh, definition of insanity is to keep doing the same thing and getting the same results, the same failures. And we're kind of like that. Why do you keep doing that? Well, I don't know. Just because just I've been doing it my whole life. Well, cast your net on the other side. Go with Jesus. He knows where the fish are. He knows where the blessing of God is. It's not in the routine and the habit, but sometimes we get a little off and discouraged in our sense of purpose. God wants everyone in this room. And when I say the, use the word success, a success is what God defines as success. A successful man or a successful woman in the Bible is the one who does and pleases the Lord. That's what Psalm 1 tells us. And so let me give you a few things, and you can put these in your outline as you read this. Number one, a couple of reminders with the sense of perhaps this morning you need to cast some nets on the other side in that sense of being in that rut. A couple of reminders is that failure and discouragement, and we all face it, Failure and discouragement do not mean that you've lost your purpose. Listen, is there anybody that failed like Peter? Denied Christ? Did exactly what Jesus said he would do? Deny him? And there's nothing worse that the enemy likes to do is when you, you feel like you've just failed in so much of your life and you think, how could God have anything to do with me? How could God have any sense of purpose. I'm, I'm, I'm so discouraged. But the Lord tells us and reminds us that failure and discouragement, in fact, I might even go so far as to say that failure and discouragement, contrary to being a disqualifier, it's actually the person that understands failure and discouragement that God uses and qualifies for his purposes. Have you found that when you read the Bible? Have you found anybody in the Bible other than Jesus? God specializes in failures and discouragement, people. Right? Also, the secret to success is not trying harder. We've got a lot of Avis Christians. Do you know what an Avis Christian is? Avis car rental. Their slogan is, we try harder. That's some of the ways that some believers look at the Christian life. I just need to try harder. I just need to work harder. I just need to, you know, and sometimes we're faced with, with two options. I either try harder at getting out of the rut that's not working, or I just give up. But I think there's a third option. Listen to Jesus. Cast your net on the other side. Instead of giving up, Instead of trying harder, how about listen and trust Christ? Trust Christ. Also, the problem when we don't have success in our lives, remember how I'm using success. The problem when we don't have success in our lives as believers, the problem isn't where we are. The problem is who we're listening to. You see, sometimes we think, you know what I need to do? I just, I, and I'll just say me because this is my, my world. You know what? 
I just need to go to a different church. I just need to go, like some of those churches where they buy their pastors on Pastor Appreciation Month a car. I know pastors that got an F-150 Ford truck, and I'm like, God, hey, hello. You do the same thing. You know what? I'm just going to change my circumstances. I'm just going to leave. I'm going to move. Change jobs. Change where I live. Change, change, change. Guess what? When those disciples were out there on that boat, you know where the answer was? It didn't, Jesus didn't say, take your boat up down this way on the Sea of Galilee. His answer was right where they were. The problem was not their location. It was who they were listening to. Some of you, some of me, <laughs> need to listen to Jesus. He wants to bless you right where you are. He wants to take that mess of a situation and build a testimony of what He can do in your little boat if you'll just trust Him. Some need to be reminded that we need to quit freelancing the Christian life, doing it our way. Casting the nets. Remember back in the beginning when Jesus came to his disciples and, G and Peter said, Lord, we've been fishing all night and hey, I don't, you know, I heard, I think I recognize you from the carpenters union or something and, you know, you and your dad built some really nice tables and chairs, but come on now, this is our world. We're the fishermen. We've been fishing all night and it's almost like, again, back in Luke 5, it's almost like Peter humors him and says, but nevertheless... I'm a good guy, we'll, we'll do what you say, expecting to get no results. We need to listen to Jesus' direction for our life. We oftentimes freelance. You know what freelance is? Meaning we kind of, we, you know, we kind of, we're our own boss. That's not the picture of a believer. You're not your own boss. You need to get this lordship thing situated in order, in order to, be in the flow of what Jesus has for your life and my life and walking in His purpose and His power. Jesus knows where the fish are. He knows where the blessing and the, of God is for our life if we'll listen and trust Him. You know, the disciples were having to relate to Jesus on a whole new, whole new level. And one of the things they had to learn is that they were still need to follow and listen to Jesus' orders. You see, we are never very far from success. I mean, and again, the purpose and being in the flow and blessing of God, we are never very far from the success as God defines it when we permit Jesus to give the orders. That's what being under the Lordship of Christ is all about. You see, when you become a believer... And you receive Jesus as Savior, Lordship, that just means that He is in control of your life. That's not like an option that you'll check off that box later down the road. Kind of like you buy a car and you want to get the rust proofing on your vehicle. Nah, I don't want that option. This is not an option for Jesus to be our CEO, to be Lord of our life. And we always will understand the blessing of God when we listen and allow Jesus to give orders. 
But look again, look down at your, your Bibles and look at verse 9. Again, they've got to relate to Jesus now in a different way. The resurrected Jesus. They have a relationship with Jesus. The dynamic of this relationship has changed to some degree because now they are relating to a resurrected Lord. Verse 9, Then as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there and fish laid on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish which you have just caught. Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to land full of large fish, 153. In case some of you th not think that God's interested in numbers, John, I mean 153, somebody counted. On the day of Pentecost, somebody counted, all right? So 153, but they were large fish. And although, verse 11, although there were so many, the net was not broken. And Jesus said to them, verse 12, come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dared ask him. Remember now, this wasn't like their first encounter. Remember, he calls them children, immature. They're still developing. And here he is again. He said, they don't want to ask him, who are you? knowing that it was the Lord there. I mean, major conflict. And then Jesus came, verse 13, and took the bread and gave it to them, and likewise the fish. And this is now the third time Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Just a little sidebar here that I put in your outline of a way that these disciples related to Jesus and a way that we relate now to the Lord Jesus Christ in a real relationship. And I've got a little cross stick there of the word real, R-E-A-L, and it relates to our understanding and how we flow in this relationship with Jesus Christ, resurrected Lord of Lord. Number one is recognize, the R, recognize His presence is everywhere. Listen, when they went out, they were going out there on their own, doing their own thing, trying to just rediscover and reconnect to some identity and purpose because their life has been upside down for three and a half years, and it's kind of like, what do we do? Well, let's just go back to doing what we know to do. But it's interesting that even in their place of disillusionment, some might say disobedient, I don't know if that, but disillusionment, it means that Jesus is with them. Jesus is always with you. Jesus is with you even those choices in the wrong place at the wrong time. Recognize that Jesus is always with us. Recognize the presence of Christ. The resurrected Lord, the presence of Christ always is with us. Jesus is with us and His presence is everywhere. Notice also the E. Enjoy his company. What did he invite them to do? He invited them to have breakfast. I suspect the reason that the Lord Jesus invites us into his presence is because he likes to spend time with us. Think about that. Some of you don't even like to spend time with each other. 
Jesus wants to be with you. What did he want to do? We kind of put this so far out there, but he wanted to have a meal with his friends. Jesus invites us to enjoy his company. Remember what Jesus said in John 15, 15? He said, no longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. Amazing thing. You see, when we recognize his presence is with us everywhere, and he recognized that Jesus longs just like he wanted to sit and spend time with them. Why? Because he wanted to tell them some things. The other aspect of having a real relationship is A, accept his invitation. He invited them to come. Hey, bring some of those fish. Let's have breakfast. Let's sit down and have breakfast. Accept his invitation. You know, we get, all, we get invitations all the time. We get invitations and uh, we open it up and you're like, that is the last thing I'm going to do. And then we get another invitation, we open it up and you're like, well, you know, if I don't have anything to do on that night, whatever, maybe if I'm not tired, maybe I'll go. But then we get an invitation, like uh, Shelby was kind enough to invite us, invite me and Sherry to an event at One Child that was led by uh, Governor DeSantis, and when got the invitation this past Thursday, I was like, definitely, I'm going to be there. We get some invitations, we look at you saying, I am going to be there. I make plans to be there. I am going to move heaven and earth to be there. Well, guess what? Jesus is still inviting us into his purpose and into his presence. How does he do that? Let me just suggest to you some really simple ways, some ideas. Guess what? Again, if Jesus and the Spirit of God is in us, because that's what he promised, the Holy Spirit, guess what? When you have a desire to worship and draw close to him, guess what? I think that's an invitation that Jesus wants us to accept. When you have a desire to pray about something and, and seek God's wisdom in the Word, guess what? I think that's the Holy Spirit giving us an invitation to seek Him and to spend time with Him on that issue that has so troubled you and you're up against a wall. How about any time that the Holy Spirit moves on you to bless somebody, to serve somebody, to reach out to somebody, give a word of encouragement to somebody, seek them out. I believe that is an invitation of the risen Jesus that we need to accept that invitation. And the way we connect with the resurrected Lord ties it all in. The L on the R-E-A-L, a real relationship, is look to his leadership. You know, there's something about when Jesus broke that bread and had those fish... Again, you remember when he did that not too long back prior to this event with the feeding of the 5,000? You see, Jesus followed his leadership. And when Jesus draws us into his presence, he always has something important to say. He always gives us direction. Having that real relationship, he draws those disciples to himself. But I want you to see the second command here, very short in your outline there. And this is particularly to Peter. And it is feed my sheep. Number two, feed my sheep. He pulls Peter aside after breakfast. And there's this dialogue between Jesus 
and Peter. Verse 15, so when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, his dad's name was Jonah, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. Verse 16, and Jesus said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And Peter said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. Verse 17, and Jesus said to him a third time. You remember something that happened three times? Jesus said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? He asked him three times and he said to him, Lord, you know all things. It's almost like Peter is saying, Lord, obviously I don't know my own heart. I, Lord, I'm just going to go with you on this. You know all things, right? Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Here's the thing I want you to hear on this real briefly. Is the priority and what Jesus calls us to do. Don't miss this. Sometimes we might read that and say, oh, well, that's just a pastor's. You know, that's a pastoral thing to Peter, feed my sheep, meaning in the Bible, God's people are likened to sheep and a flock, okay? We probably, under, most of us understand that. But I think there's something that Jesus is trying to communicate here by saying, I want you to feed my sheep, but you can only do that when you have the priority of loving me first. Because I'll be honest with you, and you don't have to be a pastor to know this, Loving people, it's kind of hard, even in this group. Now, I know, I'll, you know, I love you and thankful for you and pray for you, you know, but just people in general are not always easy. And if you are trying, I'm talking to believers now, wanting to serve the Lord, regardless of whether you're in a formal leadership capacity in the church or whatever, but you're trying to Honor the Lord by loving one another. And there's many things, you know, Jesus said, you do it unto the least of these, you do it unto me. I mean, feeding, what does a good shepherd do? He wants to take care of his sheep. The shepherd knows where the water is. He knows where the food is. He makes sure the, the gate is repaired to keep the wolves out. I mean, there's things that the shepherd does because the shepherd loves and cares for the flock, just in the natural sense. But if you or I are trying to, I'm going to pivot here, if we're trying to love people and serve people as believers, as Christians in the church, and we do not have the priority that we're doing it and serving as unto the Lord, that my loving you is not predicated on whether you reciprocate your appreciation for what I did, but I'm doing it because I'm honoring Jesus you belong to Jesus. I serve you. And I'm saying I, but as a believer, you're saying this too. And I'm serving you. I'm patient with you. I'm loving you. I'm long-suffering. I'm willing to serve you. Why? Because you are so wonderful and beautiful and great? Maybe, maybe not. But I'm doing it because I love Jesus. 
And I know Jesus loves you. And I'm a servant of Jesus. So I'm doing it first and foremost because I'm a follower of Jesus. You see, when you don't have that priority, that's where people get a little, I'm trying to find the right word. People get a little ruffled. That's a good word, ruffled. They get offended. Leave the church. Write pastor notes. Not love notes. <laughs> and I want to say, well, why were you doing it? Why were you doing it? You doing it because this person didn't thank you or this person didn't say hi in the hallway, you know, whatever. Why are you doing it? Obviously, it's not unto Jesus. Why are you doing it? Jesus says, feed my sheep, but you do it first by loving me. And there's different ways that he uses the Greek word agape and philos and all that. We won't get into that. Most of you heard things on that. You can read that on your own. But let me jump to the third. The third command, and that's follow me. Follow me. It's interesting how John circles back to the very beginning of when he encountered or when the disciples encountered Jesus. When Jesus saw many of these fishermen, Peter, Andrew, James, John, when he saw them, what did he say? Follow me. What's he saying at the end of the Gospel of John? Follow me. What's he saying to Grace Church this morning? Follow me. We make it so complicated, don't we? Follow me. It all circles back around. And it's interesting, there's two questions here in the latter part of this dialogue. One is implied. It's not overtly asked. It's implied. And the first question is implied. It's not, but it's implied because Jesus answers it before Peter asks it. And the question is, why me? Now, he didn't ask that, but Jesus, knowing all things, probably anticipated it. And Jesus knew before Peter asked it, he knew, Jesus knew what Peter was going to face. He knew what was going to happen to his life. And he told him that the difficulties he was going to face, Jesus said, I know it in advance. Look with me at verse 18. <coughs> Jesus said, most assuredly, I say to you, he's talking to Peter, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. You see what he's saying? There's coming a day, Peter, that the same death I experienced, they're going to do you the same. Remember, all those disciples had targets on their back. Especially Peter, kind of what was identified as his, as his main chief apostle. And we know from church history, which is historians that, again, it's not in the Bible, but history after the apostles died. When we look at, there are people who have studied the life of the apostles and what happened to them. 
And uh, church history tells us that Peter was arrested by the Romans and that he was crucified, but he requested that he be crucified upside down because he said, I am not worthy to be crucified like my master. Now, that Peter that said that, I don't think that's the same guy, the fisherman. You know what that Peter is? That's the Peter who experienced the fullness of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2 that had a level of courage and boldness that was, a, that was foreign to his own nature. His own nature was to look out for Peter. Impulsive. Act and think later. The Peter we find post-Acts 2 is a Peter, not perfect, not sinless, but a Peter who is bold because of the Spirit of God in his life. In verse 19, Jesus said, This Jesus spoke, signifying by what death he, Peter, would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. You see, he kind of negated the why me thing before Peter even asked it. Why me? Why why do I have to? You know what Jesus' answer was? Because this is going to glorify me. You follow me. Now think about that. If you had heard that, and you knew ahead, and Jesus said, just follow me. Even when you know the outcome. Is going to be death. But he said you follow me. You know it's interesting. Everybody know Moses? Everybody remember that guy? Moses right? You remember Moses. Led the Israelites out of Egypt. God gave him the, the word, the law, spoke to God and in the presence of God that when he came out, off of Mount Sinai, the Bible says how his face shined with the glory of the Lord. Remember that, that Moses? And then God did miracles uh, with Moses before Pharaoh and even among the, the Israelites. And one of the miracles that God did was when the Israelites out in the wilderness, out in the desert, fleeing, leaving Egypt, and they're on their way to the promised land of Israel. They didn't have any water. And God told Moses, remember what to do? Take your staff and hit the rock, and water gushed forth. God fed them with manna from heaven. But there was an incident in which Moses... In his anger at the rebellion of the people, struck that rock at one point in anger to bring forth water supernaturally. But he did it in anger, the Bible says. And as a judgment, God said, because you struck in anger, you will not, you, Moses, you will not be allowed to enter into the promised land. Now think about that. The very thing that. You're the leader. You can taste it. You're the one that is heard from God. And the very reward. 
You of all people. You're like, you're, I mean, if it was me, I'd be like, Lord, you're going to punish me over that? Do you know what Benjamin did out here? Do you know what so-and-so? I mean, I'd be like pointing fingers and like, what are you talking about? I got a little ticked off. Now, here's what's interesting. If you do the timeline, I always thought that the Lord gave that judgment on Moses very shortly before his death. But if you do the timeline, that may have happened 20 plus years before Moses' death. Now here's what I, the point I want to make. Moses, the Bible says at the end of Exodus, the Bible says that there was no prophet like Moses in Israel. He knew the Lord face to face. But for 20 plus years, he was faithful with a no. Think about it. For 20 plus years, he was faithful to serve God with a no. Knowing he would not see the promised land. But what did he do? He remained faithful with a no. Could you and I do that? Well, God, if you're not going to let me do this, if you're not going to do this, if you're not going to do this, then I just know you don't love me. I know you don't care. Blah, 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 blah. Can you be faithful with a no in your life? How could Peter, in a different way, Knowing what he knew by the words of Jesus, I think it's because of the simplicity of doing what Jesus calls all of us to do. Cast your net on the other side. Trust me. Trust me. You want to find your purpose? You want to find your meaning? It's in trusting me. But then Peter does ask another uh, actual question. That one's more implied. This is so human. This is so human. Verse 20. Then Peter, after he heard that, and Peter, by the way, they're going to they're gonna crucify you. And, oh, you know, and just you follow me. Right after that, what does Peter do? He does something very human. Verse 20. And then Peter turning around, saw the disciple who Jesus loved, that's John, sees John, who also had leaned on his breast at the supper, that's John, John's writing this, so John's putting a little detail in there. And Peter said, Lord, uh, or, or John's the one that said, Lord, who is the one that betrays you? Peter, verse 21, seeing John, said to him, but Lord, what about him? We do that, right? God gives us direction. God gives us a word that aligns us to His purpose. And what do we do? Okay, but, but, but what, about, what about Him? What's going to happen to Him? And I love Jesus' answer. Look at His answer down in... Was it that verse uh, 22? Jesus said, if I 
will, if I will, that John remain till I come. That means if it's my will that that man does not die until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Here's the Campbell revised version. It's none of your business. I told you, you follow me. You serve me with a no. You cast your net where I tell you to cast it. Because I know where the fish are. I know where the blessing is. You see here, guys. I'll put this on the screen. Peter's problem, like ours, always came when? When he got his eyes off Jesus. He got his eyes off Jesus and into the storm and the circumstances and he begins to sink in the Sea of Galilee. Remember that? He got his eyes off Jesus and onto the success the disciples were having and Jesus chastised him, chastises him and tells him, get behind me, Satan. How would you like that recorded for all history? You're not thinking like God, but like a mere man. Peter got his eyes off Jesus and onto his fears and he denied Jesus three different times. And here he's getting his eyes off what Jesus told him and his first impulse is, the what about you? What about him? And Jesus is like, you don't worry about him. If I want to make it that John never dies, that is none of your business. I told you, you, you follow me. You know, our purpose, maybe this morning, needs to be resurrected. And these disciples resurrected their purpose as followers of Jesus because, and I'll just review these things, pray about it, meditate it, because they cast their nets on the other side. They had to be reminded, do it God's way. It's always better. There's more blessing when you do it God's way, right? Have you found that to be the case? When you do it God's way, when you obey His Word, even though it's hard, Charles Stanley always said, obey God and leave all the consequences to Him. They learned that their purpose is in obeying Jesus. They also had resurrected purpose, and I believe we can too this morning, because they decided that they were going to feed Jesus' sheep. In other words, Jesus said, take care of my people. But you do that by prioritizing. You want to show your love for me? Love my flock. Love my people. That's why at Grace Church, that second little C, those three C's, is the word connect. This, this isn't all, this is a fraction of a faithful church member. This is a small little, this is the easy part. It's when you connect and become involved in doing what Jesus, imagine some of the last words Jesus says to his disciples, take care of my people, but love me as your motivation. And that gave him a resurrected purpose. And thirdly, as we looked at, that because, because they decided to look straight ahead and follow Jesus, no turning back, 
eyes on Jesus, obey Jesus, leave all the consequences to Him, they remained with a sense of identity and purpose as followers of Jesus. Everybody, I believe, to some level has, in their homes, you have manufactured appliances and products in your home. Appliances such as a toaster, refrigerator, washer, dryer, microwave. And they're all designed differently, aren't they? They have different parts that make them operate. They're all different. Each one has its own unique reason for being in your kitchen or your home. Now, if the product or the appliance operates outside of its reason for being, of what it was designed and manufactured to do, you got a problem. If you're trying to microwave your Hot Pocket in your refrigerator, you're going to be frustrated. If you try to freeze your ice cream in the microwave, you're going to be a little frustrated. You see, the workmanship that designed each of those appliances is to be used for what the Creator designed it to do. The toaster does not tell the Creator what it's going to do today. The stove does not tell the Creator what it's going to do today. If the Creator that made that appliance dictates to the appliance the reason why that appliance exists, that it has a unique purpose, that appliance does whatever it's best designed to do. Now here's the connection. In the same way, we are God's creation. He dictates to us why we exist. He dictates to us what our purpose is. He dictates what we have been uniquely designed by our Creator to do. It is He that gives us our purpose. Not your job. Not even your spouse. Not your church. It's He who made us. That gives us the identity and purpose. And if we operate outside the purpose and the calling and the giftedness that He has uniquely designed us to be in His body, that's when we experience the rut, the frustration, the discouragement. Because we're trying to trying to heat up a hot pocket in the freezer because we're doing something that he's not made us to do the discovery is to walk and live and not be don't ask about him don't ask about them you you follow me you fulfill your purpose of what i made you unique to do. And I think as we conclude the Gospel of John and this resurrection story, it's a great reminder 
that if you don't need it now, you'll probably need it Wednesday, maybe next month. But that sense of why am I doing what I'm doing? Is this all there is? Is this rut my rest of my life? Instead of saying, maybe I need to go back to the beginning. The beginning. When Jesus said, throw your nets on the other side. I know something you don't. Maybe it's obeying Jesus. That's what the Gospel of John's all about. Remember what John said his purpose was? I'm writing these things so that you would believe, and that by believing, you will have faith to live for Jesus. I need more faith. The faithful need faith. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray.